0: Okay, hello everybody and welcome back. Uh today we have a very special guest, Tarek Youssef. Very uh, special. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm very excited to have you.
1: <laughs> okay. I'll settle for that. Yeah.
0: We could we could upgrade it if you'd like if you'd like.
1: Oh okay, sure. The most
0: special guest.
1: Oh my gosh. We are Okay, well I'll we are so peeking today. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry you're peeking. <laughs>
0: Well, welcome to the show. I, I can tell this is already going to be a very fun one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm very happy to see science communicators doing science communication work because it motivates me to try, try to do more myself. Um, and especially um, seeing people doing it in Canada. It's nice because it, although we're probably a lot closer to some of our American neighbors, <laughs> Just because you're in Canada, I feel like you're next door, basically. <laughs> it it kind of
0: does feel like that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, maybe for the audience, uh, we're in a different time zone. So you are not one of the super close neighbor
1: neighborly guests that I have. Uh, I'm a little bit further down the road in yeah. Halifax.
0: Yeah, usually uh, mo- I mean, most people I talk to are usually Ontario, but you are all the way on the East Coast. That's uh, right. So what university are you with?
1: At Dalhousie. Dalhousie,
0: excellent. And what's your area of expertise and study?
1: So uh, the department I'm in is called the Department of Medical Neuroscience. Um, my particular lab is a vision lab, and, and very specifically, we study the retina and part of the visual system. My research specifically is about, I mean, in a broad sense, is about neuronal communication and how neurons change their communication depending on the circumstances of their environment. So I'm actually using, I guess I would say, the visual system as a model um, of the nervous system in general and learning how changes in ambient light affect the wiring of cells in the retina.
0: Oh, interesting. I always like it when uh, people describe their work like that. Like uh, a lot of the times I feel like maybe ecologists and people who do bio stuff often get into this situation they want to test like a a more fundamental aspect of nature yeah and then they find a, a system that, that is you know prime for studying that and w- would you say that's a proper characterization of why you're using um visual
1: yeah so um i th- i guess i have a maybe a very broad answer to that question. Um, The particular model that I'm working on is the fish. So I've used both goldfish and zebrafish in my studies so far and will continue to do so. And I think that's just, Well, there's a lot of reasons why I do that. One of them being that's the model my supervisor prefers. I mean, often we're just, you know, (laughs) relegated to study what we study because of who we study under. But the reason that the fish has become so popular in vision research is because, and it's becoming more popular in neuroscience research, is because the model contains so much conservation through vertebrate evolution. So we can actually learn a lot from it. So I'd say the visual system is a is a great representation or can be a great representation of the nervous system at large, because of course, well, one, it contains neurons. And the reason why it's so beneficial to study something like the retina is because it's so easily um, accessible as compared to the rest of the visual system. Um and it's kind of this great tool. Um, In studying the visual system, because not only does the retina have neurons that interact with other neurons, but it's directly interacting with the outside environment at the same time as, you know, dictating the the network communications that it needs to for visual processing.
0: Wow, cool. That makes sense. Um, So if you sort of focus in this area of of neuroscience, um, I don't really have a good grasp of how distributed uh, your field is. Um, for example, in physics, I, I do like soft matter stuff. And if I were to go to right. a talk with like hard condensed matter people who study like crystals, I would be completely lost. Can you maybe yeah. like, give me a sense of how dispersed neuroscience is? Like, could you go to a random neuroscience talk and have something to
1: contribute or? That's a really interesting question. Um, so neuroscience has uh, the biggest neuroscience meeting I would say internationally is called the Society for Neuroscience Meeting. And you'll see upwards of 30,000 people gather for this meeting. And the topics will range from, you know, the most fundamental, the most basic, all the way to the most clinical, right? And, you know, as I'm sure with other disciplines, they're going to introduce different technologies as they come out. And those kind of become the big fad topics. But uh, so if I'm to go to one of those conferences, um, I'm not very likely to run into another retinal anatomist who works on fish okay you know what i mean i mean there might be a few there Mm -hmm. but uh, they're not going to be a big cohort um the vision science world has some of its own meetings and gatherings um and, and even more specifically uh, so does the retina. So, in contrast to that thirty thousand plus conference, there's a, a really great conference to I've gotten to go to once so far. I'd love to go again. Um, I think it was like a hundred people, maybe one hundred and fifty people. It was okay. called the European Retina Meeting. Um, so, I, I'm assuming there's like soft matter meetings that yeah, are much yeah. smaller than big physics meetings, right?
0: Yeah, and and certainly within soft matter, things you know spread out crazy where you know even at a soft matter convention i, I might not know m- the majority of what's going on
1: right well I and mean, yeah that's very similar with me with a lot ah, okay. of the neuroscience meetings yeah cool. uh when
0: you go to these when you went to this retina meeting um was there sort of like a did people who work on certain animal retinas hang out with those people was there like a, did they
1: sort of. That's and so because it was so small, it kind of felt like camp. So it was okay. so small that there was only one talk on at the same time. So we all went to the same talks together, and we all went to the same poster session together. Ah, okay. Um, so I, I it it was the only con- I don't know, but if you've ever had a conference experience like this, but it was the only conference experience I've had, international conference experience I've had that was that felt so um, communal.
0: Right. Okay. That's You nice. know what I mean? Yeah. 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 certainly compared to like the, the big giant ones, the 30,000 or 10,000 or whatever. It seems in my experience, you just sort of hang out with your group. You'll yeah. break off occasionally to talk with some collaborator or something, but that's cool. That's nice. Um, exactly. So that's what you do. Um, that's your quote unquote day job, but uh, you are heading on, I guess, not heading to, but yeah. participating in ComSicon Com- Canada. So, <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right.
0: So this is a, a science communication conference. Um, how do you interact with science communication? Do you, is this like a, is your goal with science communication to like go in that direction and make that your main focus? Or are you more of like a, a scientist first who wants to be good at communicating your research?
1: Uh, You know, I wouldn't uh, cancel out either of those options. Uh, I'm definitely open to both. Um, I, you know, science, science communication for me always seems like such a great opportunity for me, not only just to like practice disseminating information, but I get to both start and engage in conversations that other people are having so I can learn from other people or I can even just like I don't know, the world of science can feel kind of lonely sometimes. Is that just me? No, it is not. (laughs) Yeah, so I can, like, so today, like, for example, I'm very, very excited to meet you and talk about the work that you do as well um, because sometimes it feels like, see, I told you there'd be a cat. Um, Sometimes it feels like (laughs) there's there's not as much space for us to engage together, you know what I mean? Actually, if you don't, something that caught my eye was, your blog post where you shared your um letter for uh, a journalism um oh yeah yeah so in it you kind of talked. you talked about how um in science communication we often are targeting audiences um within our same bubble you know what i mean like we're we're often not science communicators are often not going out of their way to reach audiences that normally would not know a scientist or normally would not be familiar with scientific discussions.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah.
1: And I totally feel that. And that's kind of why I'm really excited to talk to more science communicators because I want to see how we can kind of open up that conversation more broadly so that more people can get a taste for you know, the science that's being done. I often hear really prolific, like famous, and I'm talking like 50,000 plus uh, Twitter followers, science communicators say that we shouldn't be trying to aim for like the, um, like the anti-vax audience, for example, like in life sciences, like you should just be trying to communicate within the bubble that already agrees with what you're saying. And I, I, kind of struggle with that like I see these people obviously as you know these science communicators that are doing very well as like the reputable source but I don't know if I necessarily agree with that take I don't know how do you feel
0: yeah that's a I'm a little conflicted I think it depends on what uh, the goal of the communicator is I think you definitely have to engage with uh, people who are not super interested in hearing your side of it differently than the people who are already kind of excited
1: and yeah, and I definitely don't mean like starting turf wars or anything oh, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I'm not sure. interested in that at all. I'm, I'm thinking, just interested about like communicating facts, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe, maybe the point to take away from those sort of uh, statements is that the way you speak to one party versus the other party is going to be so drastically different that mm. it's probably not worth addressing, trying to address both in the same medium.
1: That's an that's an interesting bit. I really like that. Yeah, I, I'm sure, I'm sure there are different ways that we can try to engage both the already engaged communities and the under engaged communities. I just don't see how completely isolating people yeah. that don't appreciate science is helpful.
0: Yeah, that seems very backwards to me.
1: So I, I so that's one of the things why I'm really drawn one of the reasons why I'm really drawn to science communication in general, you know, I I can engage with people in topics that, you know, I not only think deserve to be talked about, but that are maybe underrepresented, Mm -hmm. you know, discussions of, you know, like privilege in science or even the intersection of things like, like fundamental neuroscience with like social equity and health. Uh, This is kind of something that I'm really interested in how, you know, clinical neuroscience Discoveries that are being made heavily rely on the fundamental neuroscience that got those, you know, clinical investigators to where they are now. Mm-hmm. So, if we're not constantly building upon our fundamentals, uh, I fear that there's going to be a disconnect between, you know, those super cool findings that we have and how people are going to understand science in general. So, I think talking about fundamental neuroscience is a really good idea. I, and I'm in the same way talking about fundamental laws, laws of physics are really really important just we can't just completely ignore them and focus on like new discoveries you know what i mean it almost romanticizes things that are happening without forming uh like sturdy ground sturdy grounds for people to understand them
0: yeah and you know what taking from a like a physics point of view with like in that world i think that's how you end up getting these like um like quantum healing institute sort of things where they oh, yeah. kind of just <laughs> use physics rhetoric to uh, oh. uh, bolster some amount of whatever. Um, I have this people, conversation
1: a lot. Yeah. <laughs>
0: some people like try to over philosophize some of these like more exotic physics things like uh, quantum tunneling and things like that. I think you're exactly right. With If you don't have like the solid grounding of like where those things come from, it's really easy to let your imagination run wild with them, which is you're totally fine. Exactly
1: right.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless you're, you're people are... You're reminding me, though. Sorry, <laughs> don't go ahead. I was just saying, unless people are, are using this to try to trick you.
1: And that... I'm just getting amped up because you <laughs> reminded me exactly of a point where, you know, people can say these things that sound vaguely scientific, but if you don't have the background to try to decipher whether or not it's a fact, then you Mm -hmm. can become confused, kind of like quantum healing or, you know, uh, a lot of the misinformation about COVID-19. If you say something kind of vague, like, you know, um, we need to disinfect our blood, someone who's not familiar with, you know, immunology or microbiology or human biology might say, I definitely don't want infection in my blood. So that part makes sense. But because they don't understand some of these fundamental principles behind human biology, then maybe there is this disconnect between trying to take hydrochloroquine for COVID-19, even though there's no evidence to show that it's working. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then you can, you know, accidentally suggest all sorts of crazy stuff that, uh, yeah you don't really intend to suggest that's like a, a really interesting aspect of science communication that maybe is like a little bit under um we don't focus on enough maybe
1: i agree and that's kind of the thing that i would love to do more that kind of whole uh bolstering science literacy thing
0: through yeah. science
1: communication that's a
0: good way of putting it literacy, because in yeah. this case it's it's people who do want to engage with the science just the way they are doing it could end up being misleading or it's not as well based in fact, as it could be.
1: Yeah. And it's just unfair that most often the people who are engaging in misinformation are maybe vulnerable. um, And they have been taken advantage by taken advantage of by someone else. So many um, fake science, like fake health, products are basically like multi-level marketing schemes uh, you know where people are selling like lotions and potions for who knows what
0: right right i would imagine that uh, neuroscience is probably really you know a prime subject for that kind of thing i think maybe not as much as like psychology where there's a lot of like armchair psychologists out there who like to you know use these example cases to Create these like large scale conclusions about the human race or something
1: but uh, yeah or even um in diet culture i think that's probably one of the the biggest places where something like this happens you know fad diets or Mm. um really really short and glib messaging about how we should be taking care of our bodies or what foods are evil for example um and definitely neuroscience is a big culprit of that too Uh, And studying vision, I've been noticing how much misinformation there is about, you know, like blue light glasses, blue light blocking glasses are becoming very popular now. Um, uh And there's a lot of vagaries about, oh, it's going to be anti-cancerous and protect your health and protect the atrophy of the eye and so on. Um, But obviously, there's no evidence of that at all.
0: Right. Right actually that's something that i uh I've only just started to see around, and I haven't really dug into uh the claims or the facts about that do you have like a, a two minute uh, <laughs> debunking yeah. slash elevator pitch for them
1: sure so uh, what I'll tell people who are uh, going after the claim for headaches or migraines or eye irritation is that it it's not the specific wavelength of the screen and I' specifically study blue light I studied the blue light detecting uh pigment melanopsin Um, and from what I've learned it's not the wavelength it's the amount of time that we spend at screens makes us blink less so that's one reason that our eyes can get irritated we're also just using screens that are emitting light for a very long period of time I'm very embarrassed at the time that my phone is telling me that I'm using it every day because (laughs) we're home (laughs) for quarantine everybody's self-isolating basically I Um, turned off my
0: Instagram reminder thing. I used to have it set in like an hour or something like that. I don't need to know. (laughs) 9 a.m. You're at an hour already.
1: It's It's fine. I'm (laughs) home. (laughs) It's fine. Um, It's the length of time and um, the lack of blinking, both that are really contributing to headaches and fatigue and things like that. Blue light blocking glasses, yes, are maybe going to block the blue wavelength, which is going to disproportionately uh activate melanopsin pigments that are definitely sending signals about our sleep-wake rhythms okay but turning off um uh, devices you know, an hour, two hours before we go to bed, sleeping at a good time, waking up at a good time, getting a good sleep are definitely going to contribute to our health way more than blue light blocking glasses are. You can't buy the blue light blocking glasses and use your devices for the same amount of time (laughs) and expect there to be a difference. You might get a placebo effect, which in fact, I'm not against. Hey, if it works. Placebo uh, effects help a lot of people.
0: (laughs) I just, yeah, if I was a company, I wouldn't really want to be... Selling a product that only relies on placebo effect,
1: (laughs) I would feel. A lot of people do it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Vitamins, supplements. It seems very um, lucrative. It's extremely (laughs) billion dollar industry. (laughs) They're doing very well. (laughs) And they're unregulated. That's the thing. Health Canada only um, goes after uh, alternative health products on a report basis uh, Mm -hmm. and doesn't act regulate any of these products. And that kind of trickles down to, you know, neuroscience um, based idea ideas for products like blue light glasses or maybe even brain boosting supplements and things like oh, that. Oh, I've seen tons of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My favorite one lately is um a supplement for gamers. <laughs>
0: Adderall, right? I think they take it <laughs> when they go. You no, know to... it
1: doesn't even have anything as efficacious <laughs> as Adderall.
0: <laughs> okay, I, I think that that's like a common one for like professional one. I think they're not they're not allowed to use it, but it's like a performance. Oh, they're thing. like that's doping.
1: Very... Yeah. Interesting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So I guess none of that. Hmm. We should go shopping, supplement shopping, and uh, we can pick out the best uh, brain
1: boosters. That sounds good we'll do like a live stream yeah. shop through my local uh we have like a local natural health store i can go uh nice. absolutely drag yeah
0: <laughs> if uh if the conclusion is just like an apple i think that would be a, a good uh take-home message totally <laughs> okay so um with this uh this conference that we're virtually attending is there is there anything in particular you're hoping to uh, take away from it? We certainly talked a little bit about uh like <clears throat> learning techniques from other people or or people's way of thinking about how to speak to certain people or who we should be targeting and stuff like that
1: It's certainly- totally yeah, you know. This is gonna be an awesome opportunity for me because it's gonna be such a learning opportunity just because I'm gonna be, be able to engage with so many science communicators. I really hope we see discussions that allow black voices to be raised up. Honestly, I hope we see discussions about the include, inclusion of black voices and indigenous voices in science communication. Um, the psi can, is that right? I always get it wrong. Psi con can. Com-Sci. Yeah, that's it. Can con? Con. Con. Con, com, sci, con. <laughs> Canada Twitter page uh-huh. has referenced that they're definitely ready to support, you know, work in this vein. And I know there's at least, there's some black voices on the organizing team. So mm-hmm. I'm hopeful we can have the conversation with everyone, you know, kind of about growing space for um, black voices that are underrepresented. Sure. I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm definitely like looking forward to the workshops. That's a given. Um, but you know, the fact that it's virtual, um, uh, I, I am curious how they're gonna approach this because the thing I was most most looking for was uh, getting to meet people in person and have conversations and and make connections um, you know with other trainees. That's kind of like why I'm really excited to be talking to you right now because I hope like we make a connection, you know, as science communicators. Yeah, so I, I'm not really sure how that's gonna work. Yeah, um, I'm trying to
0: think of, uh, so I've spoken to a couple friends um, earlier who've been to other conferences that had sort of networking, like cocktail party situations virtually. Uh, They seem to report that having these sort of like Zoom, like group Zoom type things have been pretty all right. Um, But like with how many people? I think they've had on the order of like 30 or so. And then they can break out and like do smaller things
1: break out in smaller groups.
0: Yeah. I think that'll, that'll work. All right. But yeah, you, you raise a very good point. Uh, the networking is going to be a a little bit, uh, well changed quite a bit. Yeah. I wonder I sound too
1: eager. I'm like, I want to make friends. No, no, (laughs) that's, that's like truly how I feel. That that's one of the reasons I was really excited to go.
0: Yeah. I think that's one of the, the biggest things we can get from this, um, this conference. Um, As far as like underrepresented voices and stuff, um, I went to a a similar conference just outside Washington DC last year. And we had a a panel specifically dedicated to that. We had a a number of, um, uh, I mean, everybody was American there, but a number of uh, people from different universities and different groups and stuff, addressing those kind of issues. And that's really nice. and meeting the people face-to-face were the, the two most important things of that multi-day thing. I learned yeah, so much from, from, from both of those. It was really eye-opening.
1: Yeah, that makes complete sense, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I have total faith in the organizers and I trust they'll find a way to make it work.
0: Yeah, there's resources all over the place. I'm sure they'll, they'll do something great, put something together totally. for us.
1: Yeah, I think it's not only you know do we get to meet people to you know network with and collaborate with in the future or something like that but i think really just like it's nice to be able to foster relationships with people that have uh you know similar goals it's almost like having you you know your cohort of students in your department this is like mike i want a cohort of students in science communication
0: by virtue of you uh going to this conference, I'm assuming you're like the science communication guy in your uh, department? Um, Are there
1: more of you? I think there's more, yeah. Okay. You know, um, there's a lot of very active students at Dalhousie. I'm actually, um, I'm I'm a part of uh, a group called the Open Think Initiative uh, at Dalhousie University. So it's a group of PhD students um, who are, you know, actively using their expertise in their fields. And one of the main goals is to use that expertise to communicate to, you know, the general public. So one of the ways that we do that is through uh, blog posts. So um, these 10 PhD students were all releasing blog posts regularly this year, um, drawing on our discipline and talking about, you know, whatever it may be. So the the first one that I wrote was about um, the neuroanatomical substrates for resilience and trauma, because I, I was really interested in discussing how uh, trauma might be manifesting, you know, during the pandemic. And unfortunately, there was the recent massacre in Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of really on my mind. And I, I hope this doesn't sound, um, I guess or crass sometimes i find when i learn about the science behind something it makes it a little bit less scary for me sure Um, yeah so that's just one way that you know uh, i was able to like go through the literature and learn about trauma and resilience i thought that was very interesting and it felt a little bit empowering anyway so i hope to continue doing little posts like that as we go along
0: yeah that's an interesting point that you bring up kind of like taking something that is scary and uncomfortable and you know, picking it apart within your domain. You sort of like take it into your world and you're able to be a little bit more comfortable around it. Totally. I want to think about that a little bit more. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That (laughs) That actually kind of threw me off uh, (laughs) in terms of what what we were discussing.
1: Oh, yeah, we were just discussing, um, you know, people at Dalhousie being science communicators. Ah, right, 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 right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, yeah, the, the point I was uh, trying to get at, I think, is, uh, as far as, like, I can tell, or from my experience, it seems like people who, like, really sink themselves into science communication are very passionate about it, but it's not everybody's cup of tea. So, like, in my department, I think I'm probably one of the few people who sinks as much time as I do into it. I was curious. Well, you
1: also are just communicator like al like at large like you also like host radio show like i think that's super cool so it, it's kind of in your wheelhouse i'd say
0: yeah that's uh hopefully all all leading to to something communication based once i graduate but uh yeah these conferences are really nice for finding other people like that you know yeah like uh,
1: yeah I, yeah you know i always think about that like making those connections uh you know, I'm super excited to make them through the conference, but I'd love to even make them on campus more. So you're talking about how maybe you're the only person in your department that's really sort of doing this thing. Mm-hmm. I'm also, so I haven't necessarily been able to approach science communication in a collaborative way with someone on campus. Maybe in the past, I've done a few things here and there, but um, the, I've had to kind of, actually, it's kind of like family. So well, they're not married, but like my sister-in-law and I have a podcast together. She's a registered dietitian. So we talk about, we have a podcast called No BS Nutrition where we talk about nutrition myths and I kind of, we both debunk them and she debunks them from a a clinical dietetics perspective. And I talk about some of the, you know, maybe neuroscience or just science in general behind these things. Um, But I really, yeah, you're making me wonder how maybe I can create a stronger relationship with uh, people on campus because that I think I would assume that would be quite empowering. I mean, you're right there. It's easier to do things together.
0: Yeah, um, I, I tried to start like a McMaster science communication group, maybe two years ago, and we had a couple meetings, it, it ended up sort of falling apart. But uh, in doing that, I did find people that I could bounce ideas off of. They maybe weren't like writing as many blog posts or like article things as as I was, but they were always interested to discuss these sort of things.
1: That's an interesting point. I always find myself too embarrassed to ask someone to like take time out of their schedule to like, do you want to do something cool with me? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I always think like, oh, you're working on your thesis like everyone else is. Yeah,
0: I think I've just sort of embraced the. I'm the disruptive person in the lab. That's like not really doing. <laughs> who's not really doing his work? Um, but my supervisor seems and okay supervisor, with that. Supervisor, if
1: you're listening, turn it off. <laughs>
0: I think he's uh, he's embraced that in me. He's uh, a very accepting dude, so that's I, I'm lucky. <laughs> <That's good.
1: laughs>
0: Yeah. So actually, I was going to ask if uh, you had any specific projects or uh, yeah projects that you're currently doing or excited to maybe launch. Um, these these sort of conferences seem to be a nice place to um, either expand projects or launch projects because you'll have all these people sort of all in the right. same place.
1: So you have the podcast. Yeah, we have this podcast. I love doing science communication on it. We have um we have a daily or daily. Uh, our week, one of our weekly segments is um, uh, uh, BS of the week. So we kind of pick like a small topic to discuss very briefly before we get to our main topic of the episode. Um, and, and of course, it's usually centered around nutrition and wellness. And, and it's so funny where these things come from. So I, the other, you know, the other week I was doing my socially distant walk and getting mm-hmm. some fresh air, and I happened to walk past a window. Um, you know, people are doing nice messages in their window because of COVID. Yep. Um, so this person took upon themselves to um, have a message on their window. And their message was about coherent breathing. Have you heard of this? So it's a fancy word for just breathing really slow. It's basically uh-huh. like being mindful of your breathing, which is okay. not a bad thing. Mindfulness meditation is something that's been linked to decreasing uh, decreased anxiety. It's something that, you know, clinicians are maybe starting to recommend more and more, uh, not as a primary care uh, objective, but something that people can engage in very easily uh, and definitely has been shown to have effects on the nervous system to calm us down, maybe aid in uh, decreased depressive and anxiety symptoms uh, in conjunction with therapy or uh, other forms of treatment. Uh, But this person who actually was a It was an alternative medicine clinic, or it was a naturopath, and they wrote about coherent breathing. And one of the outcomes that they said that you would achieve from coherent breathing was decreased weight. And I thought, well, hey, that's totally wrong. By the way, I looked into the literature. There's nothing. (laughs) um, Surprise. Uh, I thought, it's just one of those things. It made for a good BS of the week. It was kind of a meaty one because not only is it wrong, you're not gonna decrease your weight just by breathing differently. That's absolutely ludicrous. Um, You might decrease some anxiety, but not your weight, just from breathing differently. And the other thing is, you know, in the time of the pandemic, people are, you know, there has been this kind of conversation around the quarantine 15, right? People are scared to, to gain weight. There's this weight stigma that's always been there that's maybe bubbling to the surface a little bit because of the pandemic. I don't know if necessarily if promoting weight loss through coherent breathing is a way to reduce anxiety in the general pop- population. Somebody who's anxious about their weight walking past that window might actually think, oh, I have been gaining weight. Maybe I should try coherent breathing. Good point, breathing. yeah. And then it won't work and they get more anxious.
0: That might have been the <laughs> one part of their day where they weren't thinking about it.
1: Yeah, they're like, I'm finally out for a walk. I'm getting some fresh air. And then you see some weight stigma on a window, Uh especially from somebody who claims to be, um, you know, offering healthcare. Yeah. So these are the kinds of things we tackle along with some more, um, you know, we get to the nitty gritty molecular stuff. We talked about allergies and, you know, allergies to dairy. How true are they? Some of them are, of course, but a lot of people think they have milk allergies when they don't. What's the difference between that and, um, you know, a sensitivity, um, we talk about yeah all sorts of things different fads like taking apple cider vinegar and what that really does nothing and you know all kinds of stuff (laughs) so that's been really fun uh science communication with um, my co-host hannah mcgee um hannah mcgee underscore rd on all socials she's awesome and and you know the other thing has the other big thing has been this open think initiative where um hopefully i get to kind of you know write about uh neuroscience in a way that people might find interesting just for their daily lives. You know, I'm kind of grasping or taking this opportunity and using my knowledge of the fundamentals to address some larger questions. Mm -hmm. Um, but I might throw in, um, you know, a vision science blog here and there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so
0: I I sometimes write for a blog called soft bites. Is there like a, have you heard of the bites, um, groups? There's like an I Astrobytes. There might be a Neurobytes or something. Okay. Um, neurobytes. Yeah, I'd have to double check, but uh, it almost sounds like your your uh, blog post initiative would fit with them fairly well. In, uh, oh, nice. What, what their goal is, is um, take like modern or up-to-date research, like a new paper that's been published and do a, a quick... Not rewrite per se, but write it for like a yeah, an advanced high like school a scientific student, American
1: kind of thing.
0: Yeah, so short little bits like that, and uh, it seems like the whole bytes group is like pretty good at putting some nice stuff together. They might they might just like provide um, good topics to, to think about or I'll translate. Check it out. Thank and, you. Yeah, and yeah, also good opportunities to to write for other blogs if you're. I'd looking love, for that. love
1: that. Yeah. I really like writing in general, so.
0: Yeah, cool. Um, let's see. What else was I going to ask you? <laughs> What's your favorite color?
1: Um, <laughs> uh, green. <laughs> nice. Good choice. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm certainly... I think, uh, maybe I'll throw in one more thing. Um, you know, if there's anything... Uh, I'd really like to do my part in as much as possible using my privilege to raise black voices and if anybody he is listening now is listening to this because they're interested in neuroscience at all um you know i found out recently that some of the scientists i've been following refuse to acknowledge the presence of racism within science and think it's too political to be inclusive. So I'm kind of, I'm trying to open myself up to, to new science communicators in the, in the neuroscience field. So maybe I'll plug some people that I've started following recently. Because yes, uh, yeah. I think their stuff is amazing and they deserve so many followers and I'm loving learning from them. So, um, and if I pronounce anyone's name wrong, I'm sorry about that, but the first one is Yari uh, Javier. So her uh, handle is at J A R I L D Y uh neuroscience, uh, you know, science communication stuff, all these people that I'll be listing. Angeline Dukes at future Dr. Dukes, future D-R-D-U-K-E-S. Oh, she's and, gonna have um, to
0: change her uh handle in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah,
1: finally <Shoot>. Dr. Dukes. <laughs> uh Dr. Deanne Duncan um at uh, D-A-N-N-E underscore Ph D. Uh, and finally, uh, uh Resfe at R A C K E B T. So th- that's obviously not a comprehensive list, but those are just some neuroscience people that I've really been enjoying. Um, yeah, so awesome. We'll I give them a follow. Should for go sure. follow them. No, I'll yeah. throw those in On the Twitter. show notes. As that was well. all Twitter handles. Uh, oh, yes. thank you. Yeah, I can send you their handles. Yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. Yeah. Great. Thanks for the tip. Um, that. that huh what you said leading up to that is such a frustrating
1: point. Yeah. Well, Um, you know, I follow these people and I was very, you know, have been inspired by, you know, the efforts that they have in order to promote science communication. They've got, you know, many thousands, many tens of thousands of followers. And to weirdly see, you know, even people who are, who are trying to promote ethics, you know, just go completely silent for the past couple of days. I was like, your research actually really touches on racism in a really big way and anti black racism. So you should kind of be joining the conversation. <laughs> yeah.
0: And to say that science is supposed to be not political in any way, it's like
1: I Yeah, and I it shouldn't know. be political to support people.
0: Yeah. Like I don't know, yeah. you shouldn't be pushing politics within your manuscripts, but that doesn't mean that you're required to be silent on things where your voice would be useful. Yeah, it's also not
1: controversial to be anti-racist.
0: No, not at all. Yeah. (laughs) And oh, man, the other thing that frustrates me is when scientists will say stuff like, oh, you know, we're trained to uh, really look at the facts and the figures and the numbers. So I'm I'm all for listening to arguments on possibly there is some sort of effect, but I would like to see some resources
1: or some, some citations first. Okay, you should probably go check my mentions because I got into a conversation like that this morning. <laughs> it's
0: it's crazy how many people actually do feel that way, though, um, but just don't say it. And I think maybe yeah. a reminder that like
1: it's very short sighted to say that we don't have empirical evidence for the consequences of racism. We definitely yeah. we definitely still need to collect uh, disaggregated race based data. Absolutely, we need it, but. We also have lots of evidence, good evidence to show that the consequences are real.
0: Yeah. If somebody who studies like race and society were to tell me that, then I would, you know, be a little bit more interested. But if it's like a, a physics colleague who tells me that, yeah. like that's that's not what you study. You don't you don't know the literature. <laughs> Just because yeah. you have don't you know about it. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, if if yeah. this is your attempt of asking for resources and like asking to be, you know let in on stuff that you're blind to you did it wrong but good on google you. is
1: so free like people really yeah. need to check that website out yeah actually that's that's what i'd like to promote google really free
0: <laughs> i mean they're great but <laughs> my understanding is when you google something everything that comes up has been written by a google employee right google oh
1: okay yeah that makes google sense. is a giant <laughs>
0: content producer yeah
1: yeah that's right
0: <laughs> awesome Cool. Well, this has been really fun. Um, I can't wait to, actually, I was going to ask you about your, um, your write-a-thon. How's that coming
1: along? Oh, yeah. So I've actually had several drafts of different SciComm pieces that I wrote for it. Um, Oh, okay. Like different ideas. But then as time keeps going on, I keep changing my mind about what I actually want to talk about. Um, do I want to submit stuff about my research or my other scientific interests or reflections on science communication in general? Because it seems like the, the prompt is very broad. We can talk about yeah. kind of whatever we want. Um, so it's kind of been difficult to decide. Uh, what, how has it been going for you? <laughs>
0: um, I don't know what I'm going to write about yet. Um, I'm working on that after we're done here. Um, okay. <laughs> I think what I'm going to, since it is so broad and we're going to be getting a lot of feedback from a lot of people, I think I'm going to try to use it to write something that I wouldn't normally write. Oh, I love that. Like in a style that I'm not necessarily comfortable with. Like, I, I think I'm pretty all right at uh, like translating science, hard, like hard science into something easier to understand. Sure. Maybe maybe I can tackle something that's a little bit more like first-person-y or like narrative in a way. Oh, I love that. Okay. So it's something that I've never actually had to do outside of like high school. So, yeah, yeah. so maybe it's a good opportunity for that. Um,
1: what a great the, idea. Yeah. The
0: other conference that I had gone to, which was the ComSciCon AIP thing, just outside Washington, D.C., Um, They ended up having a group of like professional editors for different publications come in, which I didn't know ahead of time. Um, And they were actually kind of soliciting and looking for pieces to to publish. So suddenly the stakes are up there. (laughs) So I don't really know what to expect. Either they're like, they're up here or they're like down.
1: Like, I don't, I'm not sure, but that's, that's making my, okay i'm gonna unhear that did. i'm unhearing it what you just said i'm i'm rewinding 15 seconds in my head <laughs> no pressure
0: okay we can we can restate it as there's a bunch of very good editors who you'll be able to talk to about writing styles and then pitch a piece that isn't what you wrote
1: and then step three profit yes yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I think uh, I think just getting to know these people and getting their emails and speaking to them one when, when you have something that you really are excited about pitching to them, they'll mm. remember you and they'll be able to you know read your name and be like, "Oh, I know who this person is. I'll give this a little bit more time
1: mm. you've really made me think because maybe I'll just yeah submit something that is very dear to my heart rather than something. I don't know, that might otherwise not be, but I would have still put effort into. Uh, uh, yeah. Huh.
0: I think huh. you can't go wrong either way. Right. Um, I'm sure whatever you produce will be.
1: Oh, um, I'm shocked at <laughs> <with> you. <laughs> um,
0: so, cool if we um, sort of do a debriefing after the conference. I'd love to hear I, what you took away from it and how I your would love thoughts that. have changed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I guess we're uh, no longer going to be able to physically debrief afterwards, but we'll debrief via Zoom. Yeah, we'll do Zoom's the eternal glory.
0: The COVID handshake or something.
1: Yeah.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> cool. well, well, thanks so much for, for talking to you. This was, this was a blast. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, Adam. I had such a good time. Yeah, and congrats on uh, becoming a full-on PhD
1: candidate. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. The crowd mm-hmm. is cheering. Yes. They are. <laughs> I can <laughs> hear them. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much. And congratulations on this is your last year. You'll soon, soon. be doctor. Soon. Oof.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking last night, um, if my apartment caught on fire and my laptop burned okay. and, I lost, <laughs> and I lost all my data, I I don't know. if You moved I would, to the woods.
1: <laughs> I think I would just quit. I think it would just yeah, be just over. Live off the grid, yeah. It's like, I came this close, but it's fine. You've probably learned enough physics to, like, survive the wilderness. Ooh. No? You know what? Um, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe the wilderness of, uh, you know, the general area surrounding McMaster? Maybe. I
0: could tell Not you from, too like, out, but... from, like, first principles how to make an air conditioning unit but I couldn't
1: actually do it for you. Um, I could at least have, you could have the joy of knowing that true. This is what this has all been about. (laughs) I could tell you why
0: filtering your water is important, but certainly not doing it.
1: Yeah. You can walk around like proselytizing all these things. That can be your, your next goal. (laughs) That could be kind of cool. If I get something like really flowy to wear. It's like a town crier, but. Yeah, but crying, actually crying, but also saying physics, science.
0: <laughs> That'll be the uh, the next YouTube show.
1: No, it'll be a fantastic defense, I'm sure. Do you have oral defenses in your department? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it'll be a fantastic defense, I'm sure, and I'm very much looking forward to celebrating you when you're done.
0: Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. Well, it's been uh, it's been great meeting you, and uh, stay in touch, eh? Yeah, you too. Thank you. Great. All right, have a good day, eh?
1: Yeah, thank you, you too. All right, bye.